Welcome if you're joining online too. I didn't cue you in, but you guys look good today. And I know you're wearing your Dodgers stuff too. Good job. Um, you guys, I'm excited about this topic. And so um, let's pray first and we'll just ask the spirit to speak to us in the way that only he can. So Lord Jesus, we give you this time, Father, right now. God, our hearts are yours. They're open. God, we're hungry for your word. And so Lord, I pray that you would come and bring a fresh word to us today. God, as you always do. Lord, we love you. God, we love your son, Jesus Christ. And so we praise him and we open ourselves to him today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Um, Ernest Hemingway, famous author, somebody once challenged him. They said, write the shortest story you can. Have you heard this? He was challenged to write the shortest story he could. He wrote a story in six words. It's called, I don't even think it has a title because it's just the whole story, but it says, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. It was a memoir in six words that spawned this kind of literary movement around the world, and now people do six-word memoirs everywhere. We did it in college. That's when I first learned about it. Uh, but I was fascinated that someone could tell their story in six words, and people all around the world have tried to do that, tried to put their, their own story in six words. So if you're ever into a literary challenge, I encourage you to dig into that this week. Uh, but one of them that I read that has always stuck with me, I read this when I was like 21 in college, and it's still in my head, is one that went like this. It said, born in the desert, still thirsty. And I thought that was such a good summation of life. Born in the desert, still thirsty. And today we are gonna encounter a God who quenches that thirst, which is why it's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Um, and so today, we're gonna, what I wanna do is, this week in your study, uh, you had a kind of a contemplation study guide. This might have been hard for some of you to do. I will admit, it can be a little hard if someone doesn't read the passage to you, because sometimes you get caught up in reading it. And the goal is to imagine yourself in the scene, to put yourself there, in either as the person of Jesus, as a bystander, a tree on the wall, but your, your goal is to imagine yourself to be there, so that it's not just a far off story, but it feels real to you. And I discovered this method in college, uh, and it's when I discovered that God designed all of our faculties to know him more, including our imagination. For a while, I thought that was for like Disney, science fiction, that's separate, but God uses every single one of our facilities to speak to us, to get to know him, to talk to us, to reveal himself to us. And so your goal for this week was to read this passage and put yourself in the story. So if you didn't do it, if you didn't read it, um, I'm going to read uh, the first chunk of the story where he encounters the Samaritan woman. And I invite you, if you haven't done it, to just close your eyes. And it, this isn't an extended period. You won't get multiple tries to do this, but if you haven't yet, picture yourself in the story. Picture yourself either as the woman or a bystander or Jesus or a neighbor or a fly on the wall, but try to imagine yourself with color, detail, texture, smell, anything you want to include in it, put yourself in the story, because this is a real story that actually happened. So I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to unpack it together. So if you want to close your eyes, you can. No one will think you're weird or falling asleep. You just do you. Okay, John 4, I cut it down a little bit. So basically, uh, Jesus is going to Samaria. So it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's quite an encounter to have. This woman got to meet with Jesus at a well in the middle of Samaria. Now, if you don't know anything about church history or where Jesus comes from, uh, this is a big, big deal. So in the beginning, before this passage that we read, it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I love that it said that. You see, when the northern and southern kingdom divided, the Jews were told that they could not intermarry, that they had to be a pure people. And some people in the north intermarried, and those were the Samaritans. So the Jews were taught growing up, you do not act like the bad Samarians. They made our ethnicity, our race, unclean. And so Jews would literally go around Samaria to avoid being contaminated, being touched, being associated with those who did not follow the law. And so when Jesus said, Jesus said, I think it's in verse uh, like four or something, it says he had to go to Samaria. I love that line because Jesus didn't have to go to Samaria. Jesus could have easily walked around Samaria like all the other Jews did to avoid it, but he had to because he had a woman that was there that was in need. And now for you and I to read this encounter, we're like, no big deal. You know, like they're just chatting at the well. That is not the way things went down in the past. Men and women did not speak to each other publicly. It was considered not appropriate. And so for Jesus, a high standing Jew, to go into a country that was considered unclean, to go to a well and to talk to a woman was breaking a lot of cultural norms. It was not only inappropriate, it was also frowned upon. And he asked her for a drink of water, which would be the ultimate no-no. They were not allowed to touch or associate, so to ask someone for a water cup would mean to blemish Jesus as well. So he's breaking every cultural norm that you can think of, and he's doing it because the love of Jesus calls him to Samaria, calls him to places that you and I wouldn't normally go, that are off-limits, that are taboo, not Jesus. Jesus goes to Samaria. Have Have any of you ever been thirsty? like real thirsty, not like I forgot my cup in the other room and I'm parched, but like you have not had a drink of water for a while. Yeah? 
you know what it feels like. It's, it's like all-encompassing. You can't think, you can't move. It's like everything in you is just craving a drink. When I, I did my master's in India, and there was always this fine line because India has no public bathrooms in the city of Calcutta. There's too many people that live on the street, so they don't have public restrooms. So there are no restrooms, and it also gets really, really hot in India. One time, one day I was there, I got up to 127. So it's so hot, and there's no restrooms. So you live in this tension of, you need to drink so you don't pass out, but you can't drink too much water because you won't be able to find a restroom and you'll have to hold it or go in your pants. So I always, I lived, I think like 80% of the time I was in India, I was thirsty. I always wanted more water. And here's the reality, this is the lesson we're gonna learn today. You and I were all born with a thirst that we cannot quench on our own. We cannot quench it. It's not just physical thirst. Yes, that is an absolute true example, but it points to an even greater truth that you and I have a thirst that cannot be filled. And if we're honest, if we're honest, this is true, I think, for all humans, especially me, but we spend our whole lives trying to quench that thirst, trying to scratch the itch that just never seems to be scratched. And we find something that scratches it a little bit. We find something that satiates, and it's never enough. It never lasts. It's never good enough. We want something more. We always want more and more and more and more. And that is the human condition. So when Jesus goes to the well, Jesus is himself thirsty, but he knows the thirst of this woman. And for those of you that knew anything about that time, Women went to the well together. It was a communal thing. They did, it, they did it in a tribe. They lived life together. They helped each other. They brought kids to the well. It was a social thing for them. It was a safety thing. And this woman, the woman that we see in Samaria, she goes to the well at noon, midday. The sun is hot. No other women are with her. Now, do you know why she went alone? Shame. Shame. This woman was not accepted by the society. This woman had had five husbands and now was living with a man who was not her husband. And so she was ostracized. She didn't have community. She didn't have friends. And so she had to go in the heat of the day to get her water. Didn't have any fellowship, didn't have any companionship. And the shame and the isolation of that alone for a communal society must have worn on her so heavy. Have you ever felt isolated and alone, friends? This is what our thirst can do to us. It can lead us to places where we are desperate and lonely and abandoned and on the outskirts. And so Jesus talks to this woman and he says, if you knew who it was who asked, he would give you living water. And she's thinking right away, that living water, what is that? I want it. You and I are all created for living water. When we hear that, you can, I don't even know if you feel anything in your physical body, but there's something in us that perks up that living water, like what would that look like to never thirst, to be quenched, to be satisfied? And Jesus says, it is I, it, living water is what I give you. And so my question for you today, for you and I, the first question I have for you is where do you go to quench your thirst? Where do you go when you're thirsty, when you're lonely, when you're in need, when you don't feel like you're enough, when you're struggling with maybe self-esteem, maybe you're struggling with unforgiveness, where do you go to quench your thirst? You see, we all go to different places. 
And we all go to multiple places. And that is part of our condition as broken humans. So for us to say, no, 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 I, like, I, don't, I don't go anywhere. I don't have any thirst. Like, I'm, I'm content and satisfied. That's not the way we're born as sinners. We're born broken and needing something that we don't have. And I love, I love how Jesus addresses what she is running for to get her cup filled. He says, go call your husband. And she says, no, no, I don't have a husband. And then he lays out clear as day. Do you notice there's not an ounce of judgment in his voice? He says, no, you're right. You had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. That's true. You don't have a husband. So often we think that God's just ready to condemn us when we miss, when we go to something else for thirst, that he's gonna come after us and, be, and condemn us or judge us or shame us. Jesus does no such thing. Jesus simply states what her sin is and he lays it in front of her and says, this is true. So often we think we can't, we can't confess when we're wrong. It's embarrassing, we're ashamed. What if Jesus is mad at us? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I know your sin and so do you. And you confessing your sin isn't this like, woe is me, I'm the worst person in the world. I, uh, like I, it's just simply saying, hey, this is my sin. This is what I was going for and it's not working. And you agree with Jesus. You say, yeah, what I was doing, it's not working. Notice there's no condemnation. Jesus doesn't give her the cold shoulder of, I cannot believe you're on husband number six almost. Like there's no judgment. And I think when we think in our head what we run to for water, the first thing the enemy tells us is, you can't admit that to Jesus. He's not gonna receive you as that. That's not okay. You know better. You can't, you can't tell somebody that. And the enemy is constantly trying to lie to us. And so I love that Jesus, Jesus just lays it right out there. He says, this is your sin. Yes, let's agree on it. Let's both agree together that's not satisfying you. So today, in your own heart of hearts, what are you running to that isn't satisfying you? Where are you turning for your comfort, for your fulfillment, for your hope, for your belonging? What, are you, what do you think will fill you? If it's not Jesus, I want you and your quiet time with him to just lay it at his palm and agree with him. You're right, it's not working. It's not enough. I read a definition that I love. It says, the essence of sin is pursuing satisfaction in something other than God. The essence of sin is pursuing satisfaction in something other than God. It's not just drugs, rock and roll, sex. It's not just murder. Sometimes we think of sin as these crazy things. No, sin is anything that we seek and put in front of God. It's when we think a relationship is gonna fill us more than Jesus. It's when we think if our kids just did the right thing, if I could just get them in line, I would be satisfied. It's when we think, oh, if I just had that career, if I just had that money, or if I just had this, then it would be enough. And the lie of the enemy is that the more and more we get of the thing that we think we need, the less and less it satisfies. And Jesus knows that. He uses this woman as such a prime example. I love that she's been married five times. I think if the, he had chosen a woman who had been married once, all of us could say, well, she, she's only got one divorce. That's not that bad. But Jesus told, chose a woman who had been divorced five times in a society that did not believe in divorce and did not celebrate divorce and didn't allow divorce. This woman was at the end of her rope. She was isolated, alone, on the journey. And that's where Jesus comes and says, I want to offer you living water. I want you to realize that what you are seeking, you can't find anywhere else but in me. I am living water. Where are you going to quench your thirst, friends? We're all going somewhere. 
This isn't, this isn't a trick question. This is not a judging question. It's not a shaming question. It's an honest question for you to answer in your heart with Jesus. Where are you running to today to get your thirst quenched? Because if it's not Jesus, it's not gonna satisfy. It's not gonna cut it. It's not gonna do. And so this woman, this woman comes, Jesus talks to her, he meets with her, and he tells her that he has living water. And he tells her her sins. He sees her in her most broken state. He says, I am eternal life. I am the Messiah. That's who I am. And what does this woman do? This woman, this is probably the first time in her life that she's seen fully as she is. She's loved, she's accepted, and Jesus still offers her living water. So what does she do? She totally forgets about her physical thirst. She throws the cup down, she leaves it, and she runs to the village. Now, have any of you ever been in like, you don't have to raise your hand to this, I'll admit this. Have you ever been like in caddy clicks or circles or in middle school, it was always so touch and go with friends and stuff and you'd be mad one day, be you know hurt the next day and she took his boyfriend or whatever. I remember I hated in middle school when I had like offended a group or a group offended me when I had to go back and see them, right? It was like always like, hi. We didn't have the language to be like, I'm sorry that I was a bad person yesterday. So you're just like, ah, kind of nervous, you know? Maybe just me. Okay. <laughs> this woman, this woman had been shunned by this community, had to go to the well alone. This woman drops her cup and she runs back to these people, these people who have judged her, who have pushed her on the outside. And she says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Do you hear any shame in that voice? Do you hear any condemnation? Do you hear any judgment over herself? This woman was seen fully in her sin and forgiven in her sin. And it, bro- it changed her. You and I are invited to be changed by the gospel, to receive a new identity, not a patched up identity, not you're a little bit better, but a full new identity that can go back to the group that cut you out and say, I have to tell you what he did because it's so, I'm a new person. That's what this woman encountered. And friends, whether you believe it or not and whether you've received it or not, this is the same thing Jesus offers to us. Jesus offers this to you and I. He says, come to me for living water. I am enough. I will give it to you. And here's what happens when he does that. I'm going to walk you through the process so quick because it happens like this. Jesus offers you living water and the first thing that happens, and you and I don't know it, first thing that happens is the enemy says, that's not for you. No, not what you've done. Maybe other people. Not if you, if you really knew. You really think that that's for you? You think that's all? You think Jesus is really enough? We start to doubt. We doubt ourselves and we doubt if Jesus is good enough. So the enemy comes in and he's like, well, yeah, Jesus, but, but you do also need that relationship. You also need the job security. You also need your kids to be, you also need, need, need. Satan comes in and starts lying. And what's happened in my own life, maybe it hasn't happened in yours, Satan's job is the accuser. If you didn't know this about him, his job is to accuse you and make you feel bad about everything you've ever done. So if you and I, if we've had any sin in the past that we think is is so bad or so unforgivable, what Satan does is he comes in and he magnifies it in our life. And the longer that time goes on, the worse and 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 the worse it gets until we think that that living water isn't for me. I got a sin the size of Montana in my backyard, in my past, 
And Jesus might be able to forgive that woman's sin or your sin, but it's way, way too big for me. Friends, Satan does this with all of us. There is a sin or sins in all of our life that we think, the enemy has convinced us that that sin actually, because we knew better, because we should have known, because if Coley ever actually understood the context, she wouldn't, that living water isn't for her. Satan will tell you the living water is not for you, but I wanna tell you today that living water is for you. It's specifically for you. It's actually just for you. Jesus went all the way to Samaria to give one woman living water. You think he wouldn't travel the universe to give you the same thing. Jesus could have broadcasted on Samaria airwaves, hey, I'm the Messiah, you're all forgiven. But no, he goes out of his way in the thirst of the day to tell one woman to, to agree with her that her sin isn't working, that's not paying the bills, that's not filling her up, she's out here alone. And he says, let's, let's change that. Why don't you come to me for living water? I will give you living water. Where are you going to quench your thirst? And what would it look like for you to turn to Jesus in that? I wanna read you one Bible verse before we go to the next part. Uh, it's from Jeremiah 2.13 and the Lord is speaking. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I think that's the most perfect picture for what you and I do in our sin. Jesus offers us this living water and we think, nah, I'm good, I'm good. I kind of want my cistern to look this way. And I actually want it to be, I want it a little more comfortable than the one you gave me. And I can do it, God, I can do it, I got it. You made me smart. So I'm gonna put it like this. And we build these lives and these identities. We try to quench our own thirst in the way we think works, in the way we're in control, in the way we want. And they're broken cisterns. They don't hold water. So we try something and it works for a little bit. And we're like, I'm so happy, like I got the house. And then three months later, the house has a leak. You lose a job. You have to sell the house. Whatever we think is gonna satisfy, there's cracks in how we build our cistern. And Jesus says, I am living water. Stop turning to other things. Come to me and it will well up in you a spring of life. Where are you going to fill your thirst? Next one, John 4, 31 through 38. So, so the woman runs, she said, come tell everybody what I did, you know, and then this is meanwhile, uh, the disciples. So verse 31, meanwhile the disciples, so they come back, they brought food for them, that was their assignment. I also read, I didn't know this, um, back in Jewish tradition, it was customary for students to get their rabbi something to eat. Sometimes when I read this, I'm like, is Jesus like a diva? That he's like, I'm gonna sit, I'm tired, you guys go get my lunch. It was actually like an honor thing that they loved to feed their rabbi and it was part of their service towards him. So Jesus wasn't doing anything wrong, he wasn't expectant, he was just saying, he was doing his job, like I'll rest, you guys go get the food. So the meanwhile, disciples come back, they're urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered their labor. So the disciples go, they get Jesus lunch. They come back and Jesus isn't hungry. And I just, it's so funny to me because there's, I don't know about you, I'm like so judgy sometimes when I read the Bible. And so the disciples are like, did someone else get, I'm like, they're so dumb. But they're thinking like, oh my gosh, does he have other disciples? Like did, 
is someone else coming and steal our job? Like, is someone bringing him food in the middle of the desert when we were supposed to do that? Like, they get so insecure, and I'm like, you guys, he's talking about something bigger than you. But they don't know that. They're like, is there a Taco Bell nearby that someone else found before us? They don't know. You know, they're confused. And so Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So my question to you is, do you know what your food is? Do you know what you were created for? Do you know what your assignment is? You see, they were doing things to earn God's favor. They were doing things to serve the rabbi. And Jesus says, that's not my food. That's not, that's not what satisfies me. Though the body needs food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My job is to be on mission with the Father. My job was to come to Samaria and, and give a woman living water who never, ever, ever thought she'd ever be worthy of it. And it would not have worked if I had broad broadcasted it over the airwaves because I had to tell her myself, your sins are forgiven. Repent, live differently. I offer you living water. And so they're so confused. They're like, wait, what? Like, we all need to eat. And now we brought you this food. And Jesus is saying, no, my food is to do the will of one who sent me. Look at how ripe the harvest is. Look at how many people are struggling. And ladies, you, if you've lived in LA longer than two days, you know this. This is a thirsty city. People come here with all kind of hopes, all kind of dreams of being somebody, getting a better life, making a lot of money, being famous, switching their situation around, Right? Every person in LA, to some degree, is looking for the water that satisfies, and oh, how far some people have gone into painful directions to find that which does not satisfy. The harvest is ripe. No matter where you are, no matter where you live, where you work, where you go to school, there are people around you that are hurting. Do you know what the will of the Father is for your life? And I don't mean, I'm not asking on some grand scale. If you have that answer, awesome. But I'm not asking like, what is your 39-year plan? Like, what is the will? I'm asking for today. What is the harvest around you the second you leave Bible study today? What is the harvest that you live in at home? What's the harvest at your work, at your school environment, where you shop, where you eat? That's what I'm asking about. Who has God placed in your vicinity that is dying on the vine because of shame and isolation, that needs grace and living water more than they could ever express? Who around you needs living water? That's why Jesus sends us out. Jesus says, I came to do the will of the Father and the harvest is ripe. There are so many people that are hungry and thirsty that are dying without the hope that I offer them. I give them living water. Now you are my disciples. Go and share Go do what that woman did. Leave your cup behind and tell everybody how good I am. Who is in your life right now that you can tell that there's hope, that is lost, that's hurting, that's broken, that's isolated, that's living in shame, that's going to the well by themselves because they don't think they're acceptable to anyone else because the lies of the enemy have heaped so high that that wall of shame feels like no one can break through it. People are living covered in shame. It's one of the enemy's greatest tactics. And it's so hard to see because we don't talk about it. It's really hard to even own for ourselves. Sometimes shame can feel like the same as our skin, where we just, it's been on us so long, we don't even know how much shame we carry about who we are and what we've done. So imagine somebody else who's never experienced a God who's gracious, who says, it's okay that you've done that. I have new hope for you. There are people all around you hurting. What field has the Lord placed you in? 
And I'm not even just saying as an evangelist. Some of us get so nervous about sharing the gospel. Yes, we're all called to share the gospel, but let's start with loving people. Let's start with smiling at someone. Let's start with asking someone how they're doing. Let's start with offering someone a cup of water. Are you doing okay? How, how are you? Anything heavy today? Can, any way I can pray for you? There are people all around us that are hurting. The harvest is ripe and Jesus has chosen each of you in your unique design, form, personality, family. It's not an accident. You're placed exactly where you're placed in the second. So if you're looking at me like, holy, I have no one around me. Let's chat. Because I'm sure you got a few people on the bus, on the street, on the subway, in your family. There's people around you that need the love of Jesus to flow through you. They're just waiting for that vessel of water to pass by them to get a little taste of God's goodness. Who do you need to be Christ to this week? Continuing on, we're going to the last little part of this passage. So they, the disciples get back, they're all grumbly, someone else gave them food, and they're probably really confused because they're like, what is the will of the Father food? Um, anyways, we're all the disciples, we all get a little lost. So then the disciples are stewing in the questions and then they move on. Jesus is like, come on, next lesson. So John 4, 46 through 54 says, so he came again to Cana, uh, Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at, this po- at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So my last question for you today is, do you have the faith to take Jesus at his word? Do you have the faith to take Jesus at his word? Here we see this official. So Jesus just left Samaria where he was like hated on. It was not his place, not his crowd. It would be like, you're the other. He's going back to the place that loves him. This is the place where Jesus turned water to wine. So he's like the party guy. They're like, oh my gosh, you're the guy that did that thing at the wedding. People love him here. So he's entering fanfare, right? He's going back. His name's been known and they're excited he's coming. It's not like Samaria where they're like, what's the Jew doing with the woman at the well? They're like, this is the guy for the party. Get over here. So his, this official, this official is desperate. And if you've ever had someone that you love, anyone that is in your life that's close, that's sick, especially a child, this, this official is to the point, he is desperate to do anything for Jesus to heal his son. He will do anything so that his son will live. I um, had the privilege of working in a children's hospital when I did a year of service in Ecuador. And Ecuador has this weird policy where everything in the hospital is free, all the services, but none of the equipment is provided. And so I worked on the infectious disease ward uh, with kids with HIV. And so what would happen is uh, these, the children would need blood transfusions often. So the, the procedure was covered by the hospital, but the syringes and the blood was not. And so what would happen is these parents, usually suffering from HIV themselves, would have to go around the city and find someone to donate blood for their child on the day that the doctor or surgeon had offered to do the plant. And you talk about desperation on someone's face. These women would run around. They were often out of money because they traveled from far to be at the best uh, HIV center. They had nothing to give. And I remember one day this woman said to me, she said, she grabbed my arm and she said, well, like, will you, like the, the surgery's in two hours. I don't have anybody. 
and I didn't have the same blood type, but she, the desperation of that grab, she just wanted someone to go donate the blood so her son could have a chance at living. How desperate we are when somebody that we love is about to die. How desperate this official must have felt. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. I don't know in that moment if I could have turned around and done a two-day journey home. A part of me would want to just grab Jesus' hand and say, no, just really quick, just lay your hand on, just touch, like I need to, you turn the water to wine, I need to see it, I need to see it. But this official, took Jesus at his word and returned on a long journey. He wasn't going down the street where he's like, oh, okay, I'll go check, and if it doesn't, I'll come back. And get. Like, he turned and walked away, believing in faith that God could do what he said. Not what he saw, but that God would be faithful to his word. Do you believe the word of God? Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? I think that's one of the biggest tricks, tools, destructive lies of the enemy is that he tells us whatever we've done is too much. Well, no, well you're, you're okay, but that sin isn't forgiven. That's not okay. Do you believe God at his word, that you are a new creation in Christ? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I are all qualified through Jesus Christ to have springs of living water in us to flow out of us. We don't need to find another source. Jesus is enough for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe it though you might not have felt it or experienced it or seen it? Do you believe Jesus at his word that you are loved and that you are forgiven and that you are raised to new life in him? That is the test of the Christian faith. It is faith. We live by sight. We live not by sight. We live by the unseen. We trust what we cannot see to a God who sees everything. And that's the invitation for you and I today. The title of this book is John Encountering Living Waters. And that is the prayer of Bible study, is that you and I will get to a place with Jesus where we can experience his living waters. And it's not hard, friends. The enemy might tell you there's 90 things you need to do before that living water can be yours. All you need to do is open your heart today and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. Forgive me. I believe you. I believe that you're able to take away that Montana-sized sin that Satan is trying to be tacked down to me on my identity my whole life. I believe you can forgive even that. And he will. And he does. So I'm going to close this in prayer now. I just want to invite, I want to invite you to open your heart to Jesus and to invite him to come in and do something new in you. God is always doing something new in us, but it does take the invitation on our part. Jesus is a gentleman. He never barges in on us. He always waits for the invitation. So if you're comfortable, I want you to invite Jesus in today to start doing work inside of you, to remove the shame of past sins that Satan would love to tack to you, to start to clear a place for you to receive that living water. So Jesus, Jesus, we thank you that you had to go to Samaria to save a woman that you loved. And Jesus, you, you had to come to LA to save us today, Father. There is no place that you would not go to save one of your children, Lord. And so, Father, right now, I just pray all over the room, God, that the Holy Spirit would start to soften the soil of our heart, God, where it's grown hard and crusted and wounded with pain and shame and doubt, God, that the enemy has just attacked us in these places in the past where we've had sin, Father. Divorces, abortion, pain, abuse, manipulation, theft, God, whatever, whatever sins are in us, God, there is no sin 
that's too big for you. God, that's the truth. And so God, right now, I just pray that in each woman's heart, you would begin to reveal your tenderness towards her, God, your favor towards her, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ, Father. So any lie that's been planted in our hearts about who we are or how bad the things we've done is or because our sin is repetitious, because we keep doing it, that we're even farther removed from your truth, God, that is a lie. And so God, we just present to you today, God, whatever our sin is, we name it in our mind and we agree with you, God, that this is not satisfying our thirst, Father. But it's scary to let go of when it feels like a crutch, when it feels like, well, it's enough for today, Father. So God, we just lay our sin at your feet. All of us have it. God, all of us have multiple sins. We ask for your forgiveness, Father. Would you cleanse us of the things that we've chased instead of you, God? We're like sheep, helpless and harassed, God. We're just looking for anything to fill our tank, Lord, and you know that. So in your mercy, you come to us and say, you don't need to go to the well that doesn't satisfy anymore, Father. So we disagree with you, God, that the things we've chased aren't satisfying us, Lord. So we, we ask for your forgiveness over our past, over our present, over our hearts, God. And we're, we confess, God, we're thirsty. God, we're thirsty for living water. We're thirsty for you. We're thirsty for unconditional love that we know in our heads we don't deserve, but that you offer us because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, Father. So I pray right now, God, for whatever it looks like to different women, whatever their situation is, however they receive you, God, I just pray that your living water would flow into our hearts, Father. God, that there would be even a tangible sense, God, of you coming in and claiming home in a place that we felt was maybe too bad for you to ever enter, Father. Lord, you are the Father, you are the Lord of our hearts, Father. So I just pray for living water to run through each woman that's here, God, today. And God, I just pray that you would show each woman, God, what is her harvest, God? Who have you created her to bless, to smile at, to share the good news with, to invite to church, to pray over? Who are you inviting to tell somebody else about living water, God, so that this woman isn't stranded and alone or this man isn't stranded and alone? Who in our world needs to hear you or get a hug from you today, Father? And Lord, lastly, we just pray. We pray for the faith to take you at your word, God. We know that the enemy is gonna come after us and lie to us and break down your word and say, we're not worthy, we're not enough, we're not. God, we just cancel the voice of the enemy right now. God, we silence him in the room and we pray for your truth to speak the truth about who Jesus is and how you're bigger than our sin, Father. God, you say that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that over every woman, God, every sin that Satan has bound to her that said it's too big, God, we pray for strongholds to break today. We pray for the forgiveness, the blood of Jesus Christ over each of our lives and our past, Father. We take you at your word, God. We wanna believe that we are forgiven and that we're made new creation, God's, because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Father. So Father, I pray in newness, an invitation of life and living water to run through our days and our weeks and our months and our years until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.